I'm not sure. That'll work. Okay. Well, you guys, <clears throat> let me pray. Oftentimes, I, I forget to do that, so uh, I'm not sure what that says about me, but, uh, but oftentimes I get too focused. So let me pray, and, um, and we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for uh, your grace. Thank you for the opportunity to, to, to be together as, um, as a student ministry, Father. Thank you for the opportunity to be together as the people of God. We acknowledge that we probably take that too lightly. Um, and so, Father, I pray that, uh, that even today that you might um, meet us in some places that we don't expect that we might recognize some needs within our own heart, our own life, or maybe it's needs within a friend, um, and you'd give us the courage to, uh, to really talk about those things, Father, to, to address those things. And I pray, Father, that we would recognize that, uh, that you truly are um, the living water that wants to spring up within us uh, to be life, and that we drink from you daily. So, Father, we, uh, we would just ask that uh, as we look at this, the seventh church in Revelation, that you'd give us insight, and I pray that our discussion would, uh, would really be rich. Thank you for the, the, really the privilege it is to uh, open your word together. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, let me start with this quote, you guys, and, uh, and then I'm going to launch you into some discussion at the beginning, and, uh, and if we have time, we'll have some discussion at the end. So this is the quote, it takes place, it, it was uh, said uh, about 230 years ago by uh, John Wesley, who was the great revival preacher of, of the time, and he says this, he says, I fear, listen to this, I fear that wherever riches have increased, that the essence of religion has decreased in the same proportion, therefore... I do not see how it's possible in the nature of things for a revival of religion to continue for very long. And by religion, he doesn't mean, he's not using that in a derogatory sense. He means that back in the day, 230 years ago, that would have been a positive way of expressing honest, um, an honest Christian pursuit, right? So he means that positively. So I don't, I don't know how any revival of religion can continue for very long. For religion must necessarily produce both industry and frugality, meaning uh, industry, hard work, and frugality, careful, thoughtful living. And, and these cannot but produce riches, so what he's saying is that when revival takes place for very long, what's going to happen is it changes the hearts of people and, and we live differently. We become more industrious. We work harder. We live our lives more carefully. And then that will, in essence, produce riches in our life. It'll produce greater means. And then he goes on. But as riches increase, so will pride, anger, and the love of the world in all its branches. So you guys have three discussion questions there. Um, the first one pertains directly to the beginning of this quote. And I just want you guys to say, do I agree or disagree with that? And maybe cite an example of how you think that's true or false. So take five minutes, and then, uh, and then we'll bring it back together. Okay, let me get uh, some feedback from you guys on that. What is, I want to hear for, about that first question. <clears throat> Do you agree with the beginning of Wesley's statement? What did you guys put? 
And give me an example. Why, why or give me an example. Why do you agree with it? Who said yes? I just, right over here. They're excited when what? Yes, yeah, say it louder. So generally, Americans, when they're introduced to Christ, is that what you're saying, Mark? That we're not as excited about it in the same way that they are in third world countries? Good observation. Yeah. What else? What do you guys say? Other examples? Not everybody at once. Okay, yeah, so you, you, you recognize the cycle that goes on. Yeah, probably very, very true. We can see the cycle going on in, in our own lives as well. Somebody else, one more. Yeah. Okay. Took me a second. I see what you're saying. So, so typically, when we give, we don't really give out of of our need. We give out of our excess. It's just it's a simple thing for us to give, and so it's really we're not really giving um, sacrificially, right? Is that part of what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I I'd say it's uh, it's interesting, you guys. I mean, do y'all think that we are wealthy? Are we a wealthy church? Absolutely we are. Absolutely we are. Do you guys live in a wealthy family? Absolutely you do. If you guys know where your next meals are coming from, then you guys have wealth. When you look at the nature of, of, uh, of material goods around the world, there's no question that, that we as a country have been blessed beyond belief by the Lord. I mean, absolutely, uh, through our industry. And I, and I really do believe a lot of it goes back to our Judeo-Christian work ethic and the Puritans and all the stuff that went on in the founding of this country. And there has been tremendous blessing and tremendous wealth that has come from that. And as a result of that, we become very self-sufficient. We cease to rely really on the Lord and we become very, very self-sufficient. Um, all right, well, let me get into this. <clears throat> We're looking at um, the words of the Amen, as it's said here in Revelation chapter 3. If you guys want to turn there, we've looked at uh, six churches thus far. I've got the seventh one to share with you guys today, the church of Laodicea. And, um, and, the, and the words that are going to be uh, shared here come from the Amen, the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation, obviously referring uh, to Jesus. And he says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. 
I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you are either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. We'll stop there. Spit you out of my mouth, because you're neither hot nor cold. The first thing that we, that we notice here is what? What's missing from the, his opening remarks? <clears throat> huh? Happiness. <laughs> There's no happiness in it. There's really not. It's really words of rebuke. There's no affirming words. This is the only church, you guys, of the seven that Jesus has nothing affirming to say. Everything he's going to say are going to be words of rebuke and discipline. And as you read further on, he says, because I love you, because I love you, I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to discipline you. But there's nothing commendable about, uh, about these guys. Here's the, here's the nature of God's children, right? He says these things because to, the, to the, the, the church of Laodicea, they are his children. These believers, in fact, do know him. They have a relationship with him, and they are producing some kind of fruit with their life. Do you all realize that? That every child of God produces good fruit. Every genuine child of God produces good fruit with their life, produces fruit with their life. And some of that fruit's really going to be good fruit, and some of that fruit's going to be kind of so-so fruit, but every child of God is going to produce fruit with their life. And here's the thing. The fruit, our good works do not save us, right? Our good works don't save us, but our good works do show us to be what we are, and that is children of God. It's by our works that the world knows, that in fact, that these are the children of God. By your love, um, by your love, the world will know that you are my disciples, is what Jesus said. What's, what's, what he's really getting at here is this, that the quality of our works that we produce as a result of our relationship with Christ, the quality of our works are directly going to be related to how much we're depending on Jesus. Do y'all recognize that? The quality of the good works that are going to be produced in your life by any child of God are going to be directly related to how much you're relying on Jesus, how much you're abiding in Jesus, how, how, how often and consistently you're in the word and allowing yourself to be filled up and to be fed, how often you are coming together as the community of believers and encouraging one another, spurring one another on to love and good deeds, the courage that you have to be real, to be honest, not just about your strengths, but to be honest about even, even your weaknesses well, uh, as well. Jesus said, you guys know the, the passage out of John 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in, me, in you, you're going to bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing in your life. And this seems to be a little bit of where these guys were at. They had come to this place where they were not bearing much fruit. And look at what he says about their deeds. He says, I know your deeds. They're neither cold nor hot. I wish that they were one or the other. So because they're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Have you ever come up to a, a glass and, and assumed it's going to be a cold glass of, uh, of, of soda or monster drink or whatever it is that you would expect to be cold or a cold glass of milk or maybe it's a hot cup of coffee or a hot cup of tea, and you pick it up and take a big drink, only to realize that it's now lukewarm. 
I mean, because of the flavors associated with that, you just want to spit it right back out again because they, they don't taste good. Now, there are some I know you guys can go, well, but warm milk is supposed to be good for you. I like warm milk. Does anybody like warm milk? Anybody use warm milk as a cure for when you can't sleep? I don't know if that really works. Does it work? It doesn't work. It really works. There you go. I've been corrected. Hot Dr. Pepper, some people like it that way, but generally that's not the case. That's generally not the case. So some would say, as they read this, some would would walk away and conclude, Jesus is saying that we should be cold. He would rather that we're cold or hot or hot or cold. And, And it doesn't take a lot of imagination to go, well, hot, that means spiritual fervor. I get that one. But is Jesus desiring, exhorting, wanting us to be cold, spiritually cold? Some would say that. Some say, well, I think that's what he's saying here. It would be better that you're hot and you burn with fire for me or that you're cold and you could care less about me than you're simply lukewarm. Well, you guys, nowhere in the scriptures do you ever find a place where Jesus encourages people, desires uh, his people, desires anybody to be cold for him, to be dead, spiritually dead, or to be spiritually cold him. That cannot be the proper understanding. So what I'm going to tell you guys is you have to have a little bit of understanding about this church and about the city of Laodicea and where they were located. See, Laodicea was actually located in a place where there was not a natural water source. Nearby was the town of Heropolis that had a water source. They were about six miles to the north of them, and they had these hot springs there. And people would travel all around to go to the hot springs because of the benefits of those naturally hot occurring waters for their health. And in Colossae, another town about 10 miles to the east, they would go to Colossae because they had natural cold water springs. It would literally, the water would come out of the ground in each of these places, either hot or cold, and people would travel from all around to go to them because it would, it would, be, it would pr- promote health. Where, where they were located, where Laodicea was located, they were uh, a long way from water. The reason the town sprung up is that it was the center of three major highways all converged right there. And originally a fortress was built there to kind of guard those highways. And eventually people began to settle there. And eventually the town grew up and it became what it was, but they needed water. So they piped their water in over aqueducts in clay pipes from Heropolis. They would pipe in the hot water. And as it would travel, guess what the hot water did to these clay pipes? It would cool down until it was exactly the same as the outside temperature, as the temperature of the world. And then they would pipe in the cold water from Colossae, and as it would travel through the clay pipes, the water would slowly warm up until it was exactly the temperature of the world around it. The water was beneficial to drink. It was, you needed it to, to, to survive, but it was nothing that anybody would ever desire to drink, is the idea. You knew you needed it, and you'd have to drink it. That's why they piped it in. But the truth is, to the world around, nobody was going to travel anywhere to go to Laodicea to drink of their water. You would travel to Heropolis and you would travel to Colossae for for the the benefits of of the water that was there. So when when Jesus is saying what he he is here, um, he's saying there's great benefit to being hot 
But there's great benefit to being cold, recognizing the towns that were adjacent to Laodicea. But because what is, what is being produced from your lives is just lukewarm, it has so little attraction that nobody is changed by it. Nobody is attracted to it. Nobody is coming to you um, for that reason. Nobody desired uh, Laodicea for that, for that reason. Everyone... Everyone of, uh, <clears throat> where am I at? I skipped a page. Excuse me for a second. Don't you hate it when this happens? Hmm, where am I at? Okay, I'm done with that page. And I am... I'm done with that. I'm done with that page. I know. If I had slides, it would it would be my it would be my prompting. All right, here we go. I think I'm where I'm where I need to be. Um, so so here's the thing, you guys. Everybody who knows the Lord. Um, wait a minute. I don't know if I'm still where I need to be. No. Where am I at? Ah, here it is. Found it. Okay. So the, the Laodicean church, you know my biggest fear when I, was, when I was y'all's age, my biggest fear, period, you guys, was public speaking. Terrified me. I gave, I was in a speech class, and uh, I was supposed to give two speeches. I gave the one of them, and, and it didn't help anything at all. It only made it worse, so I skipped. I feigned sickness for my second speech, and I made sure I wasn't, I wasn't there that day. So. And I've had to try to get over it. Moments like this don't help, right? The Laodicean church, you guys, was providing neither healing for those that were spiritually sick, which would have been like the hot springs, right? Symbolized by by the hot springs coming from Hierapolis. Nor were they refreshing anybody, which would have been a picture of the cold natural water springs coming from Colossae. They were merely providing lukewarm water. Water. For this reason, Jesus says, I want to just spit you out of my mouth because your works are amounting to absolutely nothing. Here's the thing, you guys. In our lives, as believers, as children of God, we can get by. We have so much at our disposal. We can get by. The church can meet here every single Sunday. We can come together and do the spiritual thing, and we can get by. And we're unchanged as a result of it. The the fruits of our lives may absolutely be making so little difference in people's lives that they're really unchanged by it. I recognize this, that in the midst of, of any given week, as I sit down with the Lord and prepare messages, prepare plan activities, whatever it is, if I am not on my knees with the Lord in dependence with him, then what happens is this. People in my life that I might bump into can become almost a hindrance to me, right? It's not something I expected. And so the fruit of the Spirit is not seen in my life. Peace, patience, joy, kindness, self-control. All those things are not being exhibited in my life. And as a result of that, people are not going to be changed by my life. There's so little there that is going to be of salt and light to the world around me. All I am 
Is water traveling through these pipes and I simply have cooled or warmed to the temperature of the world around me? And so people are around me and it's like, eh, they're not bothered by me. They're not impressed by anything I have to say. They're not impressed by my Savior, you guys, because I'm not keeping in step with my Savior. And I thought about how this could apply to you guys. I really did. I'm like, so Lord, how can I make this relevant? It's this. It hit me today. 13 years ago, we began Impact here. We hear about it from uh, um, um, down in Austin, Hill Country Bible Church down there. Got to know Bobby Pruitt and heard about what they were doing. Some of our interns were coming up from Hill Country Bible. They were getting plugged in at at, uh, uh, the uh, the university there, Mary Harn Baylor. And uh, my interns kept telling me year after year, we got, we got to do this thing that we called the, the Great Adventure. I'm like, oh, my gosh. They tell me about it. Now, all the work involved, I'm like, there's just no way. We would have never envisioned, once we set this thing in motion, that we would have 160, is what Dave tells me, is involved in this this year. That's, that, that's mind-blowing, you guys. When it comes to, when you add to that, the number of people that are involved in being drivers, providing food, host homes, working the carnival, all the folks, you probably have as many as 500 people in this church and the community that are a part of impact. It's a huge thing, and here's what, what has gone on. We really do it well. We really do it well, you guys. It has become a well-oiled machine. It's amazing to see what we pull off. And you guys, too, you know what to expect. You know that in a week, those of you guys that are getting away for the training camp, you cannot wait for the memories that you're going to make doing it. You just can't wait for that. You know the things, the training that's going to go on. You know how you're going to bond with your team. All those things, you know what to expect, and that's the danger. That's part of the wealth that happens over time. And here's the thing. You don't have to lean on Jesus. We as a church don't have to lean on Jesus to pull the ministry off and simply accomplish it. But if we want to know that ministry happens and that people are going to really hear the name of Jesus, really understand the grace that is theirs, because those children that come, because those moms that are going to come and sit and watch, if they see in you guys the fruit of the Spirit, if they see a desire to serve and to love and to sacrifice, and they go, this is completely different than the world. This isn't the, 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 the temperature of the world around us. This water is living water. That's the only place it could come from. This is completely different. I guarantee you this. The taste of that water is going to refresh so many. The taste of that water is going to bring life to so many children and so many families who would taste it and say, this is grace. I don't know anywhere else I can go to find this. Tell me more about your Savior. This is so completely different. And so you guys, in the same way we live by the Spirit, we are to keep in step with the Spirit of Christ within our lives. That's what it says in Galatians 5.25. In the same way you live, and that's what we say we are, in Christ, I have been crucified with Christ. The old is gone, the, the new has come. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
So the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Christ Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. That's my life. That's the only life that I have as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And the only way I can do that is to keep in step with the Spirit in my life. And so I want you guys to really be encouraged that if you've not thought about this, especially as uh, heading into impact, man, we need to be in step with the spirits. We need to recognize that we probably have become way too comfortable with, with the, the, the machine that we can put in motion, the, the, the machine that is impact, the thing that we know we can depend on. With all those things, you guys, I'm telling you, you need to spend time with your Savior. You have nothing to offer these kids if they are not seeing that it's coming from a heart that is convinced, a heart that is sold out for Christ. Look at the words he uses about this church. He says of them in 17 and 18. Let's read here. I got so, I got so far off here. He says, 17 and 18, he says, you say that I am rich and have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind and you're naked. I counsel you, buy from me gold that's been refined by fire so that you can become rich and white clothes that you can wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. And this may all sound like, man, he's just really being harsh with these guys, but it's because they've grown to depend on all those things. He's really going for the jugular. These are extremely relevant words, prophetic words that Jesus is making to these people getting their attention because here's here's, um, what they would hear. You know where their wealth came from? Because of where they were located, they, they had become the center of banking for all of Asia Minor. That whole region, a huge region, all the roads converged right there. So it was natural that this would be the place, the center of finance. They were so wealthy, you guys, that when an, when an earthquake hit the town in AD 60, the Roman government had a habit of coming and saying, hey, we need to help rebuild. You're, you're part of our, of our empire. And they said, eh, we got it covered. Such self-sufficiency. They literally funded the rebuilding of their entire city that had crumbled through this earthquake. Forty years later, another earthquake hit. Once again, they said, nah, we got this. That's the kind of self-sufficiency that these guys had grown accustomed to. They took care of themselves. They didn't need to rely on anybody else in their lives. And my question, I guess, is what about us? I mean, really, as we think about this, well, what about us? Do we like to depend on others? Am I willing to do that? Do I recognize both the strengths and the weaknesses that God has put in my life. Because if I understand both of those, that's that's how real community happens in the body of Christ. It's not just weaknesses. If it was just weaknesses, we'd be completely dependent people. But it's strengths and weaknesses. So as we practice the one another's, as we come together and love on one another, encourage one another, and help one another, serve one another, pray for one another, confess sins to one another, As we do that, then we enter into an interdependent relationship, which is exactly what the body of Christ is to be about. That's what genuine community is to look like. And that's what community looks like even with my Savior. You guys, don't don't hear this. Jesus is not saying that wealth by itself is evil. He's saying it is so tempting to rely on that and to miss that every bit of it, every bit of it, 
is a gift from God. You know that I can, I can give back to the church 10%, and, and the attitude is, Lord, here's your 10%, and then mine is the other 90%, and nothing could be farther from the truth. 100% of everything we have is the Lord's. 100% of it. I'm a steward of all that, and God says, I want you to get in the habit of this 10% you set aside for me and my work, and then this 90% is for you to live on. And if you find in your wealth that you need 80%, live on 80%. If you find in your wealth you need 70%, live on 70%. Live sacrificially. Give away more of it because you have so much more of it to give away. The most generous givers in the world, the most generous folks in the world, you guys, are not the rich. It's the poor. When the poor give, they give sacrificially. They understand generosity because they, they understand the need for it in their own life. And so they go, yeah, this is a real need. I'm going to give to this. But for us, we have so little to even understand what's the big deal, what's the big need. And so we typically don't give and love in that way. They were blind as well. So what does that have to do with anything? Why blind? Well, these guys had, there was a powder that was mined there, Phrygian powder, and they would make this eye balm that they would, that people would travel to um, Laodicea to get this eye salve that was put on the eyes that was thought to promote and prolong Eyesight. Back in the day, people didn't live life having glasses and all these remedies to allow them to see well on into old age. Oftentimes, those that were elderly could not see well. And so this was a big deal. And these folks like, we got a corner on the market, man. We've got the stuff that is going to allow us to see well on into our old age. And so Jesus says, you assume that you can see. The truth is, you actually are blind you don't you don't even understand what you don't what you don't understand you don't understand what you can't see by the way in Matthew 6 Jesus says this he says the eye is the lamp for the body if your eyes are good your whole body is going to be full of light but if your eyes are bad your whole body is going to be full of darkness meaning I mean we actually read read on full of darkness if then the light within you is darkness if your understanding if the the thing that you rely on to help you understand and process your world, if that is actually darkness, when you assume it's light, then he says, how great is that darkness? The only light we have, you guys, the only light we have comes from the revelation that God gives us in his word, the Holy Spirit um, that indwells us, and, and, the, and the body of believers that comes around us as we open the word and encourage one another um, in the word. This is the light that we have. And if we're not leaning on the spirit, if we're not abiding in Christ, then how dark does that darkness become? We live lives that are very, very foolish. And we do all kinds of crazy, dumb things as we stumble about in our life. We do not recognize how blind we are when we're not depending on the word of God, when we're not leaning into the Holy Spirit and keeping in step with the spirits. And then finally he says, and you're naked. Why did he say, and you're naked? Because here they had a particular black cloth that they made clothing and rugs from, and they would export this all over the world. It was very desirable, very valuable. They thought they were some of the best-dressed people around. And he says, you don't even understand. You're naked. All these things have become stumbling blocks to you. You're depending on them 
to the degree to which you do not understand your dependence on me, what it needs to be, your relationship needs to be on me. And so he says, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. So he's telling them, I love you guys. These are hard words, hard words from a loving savior but I love you. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn from your ways. I want you to change your habits. All the things that you are pursuing in your life, those things that have become idols for you, things that have become gods for you that you're relying on to protect you from that which you fear, that you're leaning on to give you um, a sense of well-being and prosperity instead of me, I want you to turn from those things. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I'll eat with him and he with me. So why, why does he say that? I'll, I'll, I stand at the door and knock. If you have ears to hear, I'll come in and I'll eat with you and he with me. These words, remember, are being said to the church, to the believers. You guys, as the church, back in in, in John, this idea of abiding is the idea of having a home with. It's remaining in a place. And Jesus now abides with us in the sense that we make our home with him. What he's saying here is you as a church, you guys, you're the church. The people of God are coming together and and nobody's leaning on me. Nobody even cares whether Jesus shows up. Nobody even really cares if there's a, a sense of transcendence. That, that, man, I hope that when we get together, we've really worshipped. I hope that when we get together, I've really heard from God. I hope that when we get together, there's sin in my life that's really been exposed. I hope all that stuff happens. And these guys were content just to get together because all their needs were really being met. So he says, turn. I love you. And what I want to remind you of is is the picture of the Lord's Supper is the thing that I tell you guys, come together as the body of Christ and on a regular basis, break the bread, drink the wine. The bread is your sustenance to sustain you, to give you energy and nutrients to be able to carry out the good works. The blood is a picture of that which has been spilled for us and purifies us and allows us to come before our Savior knowing that our clothing has been made white. I'm righteous. I have a right to be there. This is the loving God we have, you guys. And he beckons every single one of us. His grace and his mercy is so rich. That's what you see here. It is so rich. I love Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. He says, and I'm wrapping up here. He says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and and why spend your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. You'll delight in the richest affair. We have a savior that is rich in mercy and understands even us, you guys, those that are most vulnerable in a place that has been um, given so much here in America, the American church, and even specifically right here in Temple, Texas, in the midst of a very wealthy church, Temple Bible Church. 
recognizing our tendency to lean on all those things instead of recognizing that we, apart from Christ, apart from Christ, you guys, we are blind, we are naked, and we are poor. But he says, come to me, and I'm going to provide everyone, every, everything you need for life and godliness. All right. We have just a few minutes, so I'm going to ask you guys, look at the, if y'all would read through, there's a list there of idolatry questions of our, what is your idol, and I want you to hear those, and then there's, there's question number three, I want you guys to hear that question, and uh, so why don't you guys do that, and uh, let, me, let me pray and I'll let you guys do that, okay? I'd like you guys to hear that before we get out of here. Can we do that? Let me pray. Father, give us insight, even as we hear these words on this uh, this list of questions. Father, let it penetrate us. Let us examine our hearts and consider what are the idols in our own lives? What are those things that maybe you have uncovered today? As much as we don't like to face it, they're really the things that I turn to to protect me instead of turning to you. I turn to these things and I rely on these things instead of you. So Father, I pray you give us insight. Let your spirits um, have sway over our minds and our hearts and our wills today. Name your son, Jesus. Amen. Do that before you guys get out of here real quick.